Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. I'm James, and today I am joined by special guest Jason from Military Miniature Magazine. Jason, how are you today? I'm great. I'm wonderful. It's a gloomy Sunday outside, so it's a perfect day for podcasting, I must tell you. Well, as you sit back in the uh, gloomy eastern environs of the D.C. metro area, I sit out here in bright and shiny Albuquerque, but through the miracles of modern technology, we're able to talk about a new magazine that uh, you have just launched here. So we'll get into it more later, but let's not bury the lead for any uh, ADHD uh, listeners out there. Um, why don't you give Oops. me your... <laughs> your... <laughs> All right, you can go ahead and sign off. <laughs> why don't you go uh, give you the uh, 45 second pitch here because I actually went out and bought um, the two magazines you've already published out there. And at 675, that's two trips to Starbucks right there so um and i'm pleased so far so why don't you sell me on the subscription and sell our listeners well for starters at 675 two trips to starbucks the magazines will taste a lot better <laughs> um second um i will tell you this we're we're cheaper than you know the english glossies right now we're cheaper than you know even getting war game strategy and soldier which is a magazine we respect a lot by the way um you know we we are chock full of content every month. We do our best to respect our readers. We try to get our hands on the pulse of the American hobby. We are just out there, you know, doing doing the job that needs to be done covering the American hobby. And I don't think anybody else will if we don't do it ourselves. And that comes to the crux of the magazine, which is to bring the American hobby together into a cohesive whole that we really haven't had since the 1980s, to be honest, in my opinion. Okay, so I I will be surprised. I, I heard about you on some of the podcasts I listened to, and I saw some of your advertisements on Facebook. So your Facebook ad dollars are working. I'll just let you know. Um, <laughs> they, they stared me in the right direction there. But um, I was out there, do I need another magazine subscription? Do I need to buy another magazine? Then I pulled up the price, and I think an annual subscription is $26. And... $26 and 20 cents to be exact. However, and I will say this as you know, so we don't surprise your listeners or anyone else, we are going to buy monthly. What that means is instead of coming out every three months, we'll be coming out every other month. Hence the bi monthly and... part. Okay. Good. Yes, yes. <laughs> and what happens is is by necessity, it'll be a subscription will be six issues a year rather than four. And for new subscribers who sign on after that date, there'll be a slight price increase. We haven't determined how much, but I don't see it being more than four or five dollars. But don't quote me on that. You know, I'm 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 not the math quiz, and I don't do the budget. But you know, I will say this much: if you're already signed up, and your subscription, you know, runs past, you know, when we do the switch over in July, you're still going to get the six issues. You'll just get them for free, essentially. <laughs> Oh, okay. Then that's that's a good selling feature. Basically, two free uh, magazines there. I like that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. But since you've already tried to um, boost some product here, why don't you enlighten us with your bona fides? What what brought you into the hobby? Give, give us your street cred there of why why you should even be leading this masthead. Okay. Well, I've been a war gamer for thirty eight years now. Considering <laughs> I'm 47 years old you're like going, well that's when you started in the hobby when you were eight yes i did uh, my grandfather for my eighth birthday bought me a copy of tactics 2 from avalon hill 
And I think he regretted buying me that birthday present ever since. <laughs> <laughs> because that led to more, you know, Avalon Hill games, GDW, that led into role playing. And then by the time it was junior high school, I discovered miniatures and I never looked back. Um, you know, and that said, you know, it sort of also formulated my two real interests of, you know, uh, wargaming, which are World War II and the war that never was. I also do sci-fi, but, you know, the the two historical really core interests I have are, you know, those two periods. Now, am I branching out a little? Yeah, I'm doing Russian Civil War, doing a little Napoleonic horror, you know, Silver Bayonet. God, everybody's going to get to that one. Um, you know, and I do do 15 and some 28 millimeter sci-fi, mostly in Stargrave on the 28 side, but you, you get the point. You know, it's every wargamer has their, you know, guilty little ha guilty little things, side projects, things that they should be working on. They're not, you know, you get the idea. It's we're, we're, we're at all, I think we're all at heart megalomaniacs <laughs> when it comes to figure collections. Yeah, there, there is a certain point. So uh, I will say I, I started this channel with the idea of um, this is not for intro gamers. This isn't for mm -hmm. beginner gamers. We're targeting people that play three games plus. And I think that's once you hit and break that barrier there, that's when you start getting interested in the magazines. Um, oh, yeah. Where uh, WSS, uh, War Games Illustrated, um, I know there's a couple other British ones that are hard to find over here outside of specialty stops. And then, of course, now there's yours there. Um, so when you launched this magazine, how did you go around? Well, why did you launch it? Why did you feel there was a need for this magazine? Well, because there wasn't one. I mean, we have been radio silent on our side of the Atlantic for basically 20 years. Now, all the respect in the world to Dr. Gray, the work he does for War Games Illustrated, covering Historic Con and some of the HMGS cons. But really, that's all they know of, you know, all they know about that on the other side of the Atlantic about what's going on in the American hobby. You know, I mean, you heard me on Yorkshire when I was literally trying to explain to them, though, we're not all rural living on farms and, you know, you know, starving for opponents here. You know, some of us get in a regular amount of games. You know, a lot of us, you know, have small groupings of friends that we game with. We're just not as, I would say, formally organized as most British clubs. And that was the, the kind of, you know gist i was trying to get across on yorkshire and i hope i did well you know i i think so there was the guy who developed um contact front interviewed yes me. and so he has actually lived and gamed in the united states rural united states like kansas and in england so he was actually able to bring his perspective there of you know the the, the uk style of club culture has never caught on in the u.s um, we don't organize around clubs. We organize around stores. And so you, DC, uh, since you live in the DC metro area, you know, inside the Beltway, there are no game stores. There are no miniature wargaming. I mean, there's some, art, really. there's a, yeah, there's a, a D and D store who won't touch um, games workshop, which is normally the intro for any retailer. That's where you get your start and your explanation, but you've got to step outside the Beltway into the counties. And uh, if you're like me in Southern Maryland, there was no, no store. They would last like a oh, year yeah. and then they shut down. Yeah. And with us, it's like, 
we organize around groups of friends. We organize around, you know, hey, who's doing what? I mean, yeah, we've got Novag, Northern Virginia Gamers, but they're a loose organization really now. They are they are just sort of a clearinghouse for people to get together at people's houses. I mean, that's really you know, that's, all they are. When, so I go back to Northern Virginia, and I think that's the problem when that in between, not based in a store where like a stranger can drop in and do a pickup game. What's your option? You go to the Novag Facebook page or Northern Virginia Nova X-Wing page or the ba- Mid-Atlantic Battletech, and you see people playing in their house. And like, am I really going into a literally a stranger's basement in Northern Virginia? One, to actually take it upon myself to invite myself into your basement. Or on the other hand, be willing to go into a stranger's basement <laughs> where no one can hear you scream. <laughs> yeah, yeah my, so. my, my, my wife, Annie, is into true crime. And that's usually how most of those stories start. You know, hey, I, I went over to go pick up something on Craigslist and well, all these horrible things happened, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you get my point. It's yeah, it's it's a fraught with a little bit of, you know, social anxiety, social issues, social what have you. But, you know, I think as Americans, we've always sort of been. I don't want to say joiners, but we've sort of been associators. We've always been kind of this, hey, you know what? We got something we want to do. 20, 10 or 15 of us will get together and make it happen. That's just who we are. And it's 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 coalesces around common interests, common ideals, common blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's how, you know, informal game clubs in this country tend to be. Yeah, I agree with that, but it's that informality, which means these clubs coalesce and disintegrate with oh, regularity. Yeah, they, there, yeah. there is no like 30 year old game club. That's uh, not, not they, in this area. Yeah. Um, you want to, you want to find 30 year old game clubs, go up to New York city, which there I, is one left. So uh, yeah, I won't drive through the city. <laughs> if you've ever tried, if you ever tried to drive through New York city, that um, is like, you know what? There's a reason there's the Verrazano. So you can go around. Yeah. Sure, you're going through Staten Island, but you can go around. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I've been to Staten Island. It's not that bad a place. I don't know what everybody complains about, but that's just, you know. <laughs> it's just the interstate to get you from one side to the other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so I, I agree with you here because when I started looking outside, you know, the games workshop because you know i got started in like in the 80 87 to 89 so battle system battle tech you know the rail right. partha um this is what the local store carried and then there was never one to play with so it goes silent and when you try to get back into it games workshop built that infrastructure they built the stores they built the common baseline product okay let's get reintroduced and then you start saying well what else is there so you go to barnes and noble and you see war games illustrated wsns and you see salute and you're right it's the americans are treated as oh we ha- we got word from the frontier like, uh-huh. a couple of guys took some photos in rural somewhere pennsylvania wherever that is um and they send them back and we'll put them in the magazine but there's yeah. no american companies advertised um it's more of the afterthought so we're treated like the south africans or the australians like, oh yeah, when I was on the Canadian Wargaming podcast, they were even more sore about it than we are. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the coasts was literally like, if I hear one of them call us colonials one more time, 
I was like, oh dear. Uh, you know, but yeah, that sense of, you know, we're tired of being the afterthought. And and honestly, when I read British Wargaming magazines, half the time I'm reading them and I'm going, Yeah, these are yeah, that's nice theme I'm not interested in. Uh, um, conventions I'll never go to. Uh, <laughs> you, you get the point. And now, now the magazines are becoming more and more expensive with the, you know, issues with you know supply chain crisis and, you know, the miniatures you see in them. You're like, oh goody, I'm gonna pay more in postage than the figures actually being sold for. You know, it, it's like, you know. In some ways, I say as much as things are kind of crazy economically right now, I say to the American wargaming community, guys, now's your time. Now's your time to get started, take back some of that market share we have been losing and say, hey, you like this? We have this. You like that? We have that. You know, you get what I'm saying is start taking it back a little bit. Start bringing it back because we had a vibrant gaming industry in this country in the 80s. We really did, you know. I mean, and many of the guys that got that off the ground are still with us, you know. Frank Chadwick's still around. Rich Hasenauer's still around, you know. Somewhere Andy Zartolis is still around, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you you identified the gap in the market that you said, okay, now's the moment and the time to launch a magazine but still there's that thought you're launching a magazine Uh even if it is a a digital so there's so when most people in your situation decide you know what i want to contribute to my hobby it's like you know what why don't i make a game or why don't i you know manufacture some miniatures you're the only person i've heard say you know what why don't i launch a magazine (laughs) so what what is your relationship with being able to write for magazines that said, you know what, I can do this. I can be editor and build my own ship. Well, uh, my day job is as a technical writer and I am a writer. I've sold a science fiction short story. I've sold some other small pieces. You know, I got my into the magazine by being a paid blogger for a research firm. You know, that's our managing editor day job. She runs her own research firm. And she's doing this to try and break into the wargaming industry. And this was, I said, look, you want to get American miniature wargamers to really sit up and take notice. Let's pick up where the Courier, M1, and some of those other magazines that have gone by the wayside left off. It's been 20 years. Think, I think people want this back because they're tired of reading. Like I said, conventions they'll never go to, figures they'll never be able to buy. And, you know, just all this stuff that is like done from a British point of view. And I'm not knocking the Brits. Like I said, they make good games. Otherwise, we wouldn't play them. But (laughs) they don't get our point of view in a lot of ways. And it's not on them. They're just not Americans. (laughs) Well, you know, I I think, you know, you could sell to the point of view of where the British companies are building beachheads in the U.S. So um, you got John with Warlord down in mm-hmm. Oklahoma, um, what Games Workshop hired the founder of Nova Open, the tournament, yeah. to run like their Games Workshop North America. So they're actually hiring infrastructure in the United States to push their games. So there, there's a recognition from the big players that America is in a place that's expanding in war games. It is, but I would also say they're still bringing that British sensibility to that. 
there's they're basically handing this over to an American and saying, okay, do what we did in Britain. To what my response to them is, yeah, okay, but it doesn't translate into the fact that unless you're manufacturing the figures and the stuff here, you're still going to pay God only knows how much money to get it into the States, assuming the container doesn't get lost at the docks. You know, I mean, we've all seen, you know, what's going on with the supply chain shortage and all sorts of other fraught with difficulties. I mean, good God, look at your average Kickstarter these days. Have you ever seen one that wasn't digital that fulfilled on time because of what's going on right now? So one, it had nothing to do with miniature wargaming. <laughs> So, Bingo! <laughs> if, if it is if it is a miniature wargaming Kickstarter, um, you know I'm I'm interested to see how Monster Fight Club does because I don't know with so Sciocast machines. Well, let's not mention that here, but I can see that as a change because I I bought my first U.S. manufactured miniatures with Sciocast and uh, Black Powder Red Earth, and so that I could see that machine changing a lot of the dynamics between. Uh, what's deterred manufacturing in the United States? Oh, I know, but I think it's going to have to come back because let's face it, you know, the global supply crisis is going to hit. 3D printing is going to, I think, make things cheaper in a lot of ways. I do. And I also think what's going to happen is, you know, you, I mean, look at what we profiled for creative juggernaut, juggernaut in our first issue, you know, they were all of the opinion. I mean, I don't know if that got made it into the magazine because there's like 11,000 words in that interview. And we had to cut it down <laughs> to about four. So believe me, there was a lot more said in that interview. And I remember we uh, with the subject of the supply chain and 3D printing, all that came up and we talked about it. And I think the thing that we all came to the conclusion was, is that we may not be the cheaper solution in some ways, but we are the more how do I put this to American gamers? We're the more, we'll get you your figures before you're literally old enough to you know, collect social security. <laughs> Although in some cases with some gamers, I know they're probably past that age, but you know, that, that's another matter. And I'm not trying to be, you know, mean to anybody here. I'm just saying, look guys, you know, we're not, what I'm saying is we Americans have to embrace that sense of, you know, we've got to start you know, coming back into the doing it for ourselves mode. And I, I want this magazine to be sort of the leading the forefront of that, leading the forefront of, you know, yeah, we'll review an English product. Yes, we'll print British writers. I mean, good God, you know, Britain is still the center of the hobby in a lot of ways. It's the ancestral center of the hobby. It's still, you know, the Mecca where all war gamers have to go at least once. Uh, one British Nottingham sure. You know, all, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> We want to at least say, hey, we're a factor here too. You know, don't treat us like we're the frontier because we're not the frontier anymore. And we never really were. So let me let me ask you, how did you go around and pick the name of the magazine? I didn't it, pick it. Okay. I did not pick it. And there's a funny story associated with it. So we kicked around a bunch of names. Samantha, our managing editor, who's got the money, of course, she came, she finally we said military miniature fine great we were going to do military miniatures then we started pricing out internet domain names and the s was an extra four thousand dollars <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> so we kind of said nope 
okay, we're going with singular, and that's how military miniature came to be. <laughs> well, and we uh, still have a joke around the office: the S costs extra. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was when I look at the title "Military Miniature" and I think about like the section of Barnes and Nobles where you get War Games Illustrated, it's not only kept with the military modeling magazines. Right. Um, do you feel that that name differentiates you from the modelers and pushes you towards the war gamers? I do because of the cover choices we make. Okay. We try to show more gaming miniatures in their natural habitat. I pretty much, I put my foot down and I said, no, we're not doing artsy fartsy covers. We're not doing, you know, you know, any of that stuff. We're putting miniatures on the cover by God. Okay. So <laughs> not that's the... that. The art colored samurai like painting there you're going no. for okay no. actual miniatures will always be on yes. the cover. Okay. always and All that's right. something i i want now the feature articles yeah johnny shoemate does a great job for us of those paintings and i love it and that to me generates interest on those but i will never do paintings for the cover not not as long as i'm editor-in-chief <laughs> <laughs> well let me ask you so i've flipped through i, I bought issues one and two on the website there and i've read a couple of the articles in the first one and i flipped through the second one here so when you laid out the direction of what you're going to cover um and with the title is there an idea that this will be historical wargaming only no okay we've just that's where we've gotten our submissions that's so pretty this much is what it is this is built around like the friends, you, the friends and family, like what you can get articles. What I can get articles for, and that's starting to expand because more people are hearing about us. I mean, it's like you ever you ever see Escape from New York? <laughs> yeah, long. The other the running joke about Snake Plissken, I thought you were dead. Well, in my case, it's like I didn't know you guys were around. I'm like, well, we've only been advertising on several podcasts and you know, you name it. <laughs> But my point is, is that, you know, that people finally know, hey, we're here. Hey, read us. Hey, you know, submit something. Hey, we'd love to hear you. You know, it's all of that. And it's just reaching out. And, you know, it's also what, you know, I want to take an opportunity to those smaller American companies that want to get their product reviewed. Please contact us. You know, I mean, we have a ton of books. Osprey is very generous, by the way. Thank you, Osprey. Um, <laughs> but we would like more miniatures to review as well. I mean, you know, we've had some, but, you know, sometimes it's harder to get it out of those guys. Plus, you know, my interest, I don't necessarily know every release that's going on out there. It's, it's hard to know it sometimes. And so it's like, you know, hey, guys, you got something coming out and you want it out there, you know, let us know. We will be happy to review it. Well, so I, I will say, as it stands now, when it comes to new things um, coming out, you know, I pull out my phone and um, Facebook pushes stuff in my face. That's oh, like, yeah. Um, so that has become the de facto, like, center of gravity for how new products are put out there. So that's how I found you. But with your interview of Juggernaut, they might have shown up in my feed, but I just scrolled right past them. Your look at them was actually an explanation of like, well, I can get alternate stuff that I might actually want to game with. This is something Facebook 
never showed me. So like your magazine offers a curated look into the hobby specifically targeted at the right type of reader looking for that type of stuff. Yeah, that is, you know, that is exactly what Lead Pursuit said to us, actually. You use the exact words, curated view. And, you know, that that's something that, you know, I, 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 I like hearing because it's not so much that we're trying to be elitist, like, oh, no, we won't show this view versus that view. Hey, you said it's a well-written article. I don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you could send us a well-written article on the Latvian dirt farmer rebellion of 1274, I will print it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just my point is, is that, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, and this is my own, this is my own thoughts on the matter is, look, we don't do themes partly because I don't like themes. You know, I don't like, you know, the whole idea of restricting a magazine to one topic or another on a given issue, because I guarantee you five and 10 will read it. The other five and 10 will say, Oh Lord, what did I get this for? There's three things I can read over my shoulder. Yeah. You know, I, so I've known WSS podcast has talked about that themes versus non-themes right so i buy all the magazines regardless but i can understand that well yeah so i can understand that point of view and if it's not napoleonic or world war ii you're going to get that split of where i'll pass on this issue right um but what i i do like about the themed issue is for example what last year was their samurai warfare and if you really want to get into that, or if you're really into that, where you might have passed on those every magazine that year, that's going to be the one you buy. So it seems like a play for the marginal purchaser. And you're just hoping that you do enough plays for the marginal purchaser that, you know, it'll balance out in the long run, but you've gone, you decided to go the other way. You'll make yeah. a general purpose magazine at all times. Yes. So when you lay out the submissions, how do you make that choice? What you're going to cover? Like, how do you how do you play the spread? Uh, well, mainly it's a case of can we fit it in? And that's really what it comes down to. It's it's we like, for example, we had 13 features in the last issue. We had 130 pages. It was 10 megabytes when you download that thing. It took a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Smith and I finally sat down and she basically told me, she said, she said, we got to limit this to 12 features about uh, an issue. And she says, we got to draw the line. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And we have 13 now. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. So we may have to take one of the features in April and back it up to July. It's just nothing we could do. It's, because here's the thing, past a certain point, I mean, you, everybody says, oh, PDF is limitless, PDF is limitless. Yeah, theoretically it is. But realistically, it's a question of how long do you want to spend downloading your new issue of Military Miniature? And the answer is, if it's longer than five minutes, most readers are going to be ticked. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's talk about... I've, I've got the magazine up on my um, iPad in front of me here. And one of the things I was impressed with and what you keep up front was, and you made this comment about American conventions. And yes. so um, out here in New Mexico, LVO and Vermal LVO, which is an all-purpose um, gaming convention, but that's eight hours away. Something close is like Rumble on 66, which is infinity. Okay. Now, when I lived in the DC Metro, it was Cold Wars, Historicon, 
And if you're willing to drive Williamsburg Muster um, and Nova Open. I was, am I was amazed about the number of conventions that actually go on in the U.S. that I had never heard of before. Oh, yeah. No, we, we were told by a number of hobby shops we approached, people in the industry that we approached, average gamers. They're like, man, we just want to know what's going on out there. So one of the things we're doing is we're making a concerted effort to do that. So we're going and we're, you know, we have the, a real-time system on our website that's going through and, you know, uh, you know, collecting information and, you know, you can put your location in and it will, and a distance in, and it will pop up in a certain radius, how many cons are within 25, 50, 100, 150 miles. But we also do it in the magazine sort of a, a you know, right now it's a quarterly snapshot. Hopefully soon it'll be a bi-monthly snapshot of all the things coming up, you know? And that is so important to gamers in my mind. But what's also important to gamers is covering these smaller cons, is covering these other cons that don't get the press that, you know, War Games Illustrated. War Games Illustrated, you'd think the only thing in the country that's happening is, well, StoreCon, because the only thing they cover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the closest thing to them. But it's like, I know there are, like LVO, that is a massive convention in Las Vegas. No one goes there and covers it um, from a magazine standpoint. There might be a blogger or something who'll go and snap some photos and say, hey, I was here. But as a professional review of someone dedicated to walk from one end of the hall to the other, no one covers that. Um, or some of the shows in Texas um, that I've heard about on other podcasts. There's plenty of people with cameras right there, but you don't see an organized collection and review of what went on there. Normally, yeah, we, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, normally the way it works here is um, someone locally says, Hey, I'm going to LVO. Hey, I'm going to Nova open. Does anyone want any exclusive stuff if I run into it? And what's your price cap if I find it? And so that's pretty much, <laughs> it's, it's a very face-to-face uh, -face, uh, old school way of like hunting these cons. Well, and that's, but this, here's the thing. And we would say this to people. I can't be at every con. I have a day job, you know, money, that sort of thing. It's just, you know, it is what it is, but I try to make, I'm going to try and make as much on the mid Atlantic side as I can, you know, I'll try and maybe see eventually in a year or two, if I can get up as far as Boston or wherever. But the point is, is that, you know, I, you know, I want to at least make a splash as much as I can. I'm going to Williamsburg muster next month. I plan on being there to cover that. You know, when has Williamsburg Buster ever gotten reported on a major wargaming magazine? The answer is never, as far as I know. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's so many other cons that, it, you know, aren't getting the coverage. And in my mind, that's that's sad. That's not right. You know, they're out there. Maybe they're only one or two hundred, you know, attendees. But how big is the average British con? Are you telling me that some of those cons that we see in the wonderful pages of Wargame Strategy Soldier, you know, uh, Wargames Illustrated, Miniature Wargames, that they're pulling in numbers better than the average American one? Maybe uh, salute, you know, I, yeah, but I just, I can't buy that many of those cons are getting more than two, three, four hundred people. You know, I, I have to compare it to um, my, my daughter's what's known as a weeb. So she's huge into anime and ma manga. And 
in the DC metro area, there are what, three cons a year and they pull in people nationwide into the 30,000s there. And it's just from a population perspective, we should be having bigger events than- Oh, we should. Yeah. Outnumber them by several yeah. orders of magnitude. Yes. And my, my point is, is, and this is another reason we're doing this, is to get out there and say, hey, there's a con over there. Maybe you, you are you 25 miles away? Maybe you should go if you can. You know, oh, there, there's a con over there. You get the point. It's, it's trying to build that gaming critical mass that I that I see it. It's it's critical mass. If we can build this as a hobby in the United States, then we will. I think we will stop being seen as a captive market and an afterthought. And again, I'm not blaming the British for this. Okay, it's we've sort of let it happen to ourselves to, in some extent. Well, since you bring up these number of conventions, I know small American companies like Gaddis Gaming, um, they make the majority of their income at conventions. They so do. The f- so the fact that most of their potential buyers don't even know that a convention is going to happen where they'll be selling their product. So it's like these conventions could be three times bigger, which means small American companies could do three times more in sales if we were actually organized appropriately yeah and a lot of these companies you know we get it smaller margins smaller everything like gaddis games we were trying to get them to advertise with us they had some spare money set aside and they had to make a choice more money for money for advertising more money or money for a 3d printer they chose the 3d printer can't blame them for that (laughs) i mean i would be the first to say go with god get the 3d printer i mean you know uh, you know, it, it, it's, I understand that that's their bottom line. They have to look at their own bottom line. And, you know, going back to that is, you know, we're trying to offer a lot of these smaller companies flexible ways to get coverage with us, you know, free, you know, reduce rate or free advertising in return for a certain number of features. You know, we're, we're playing with all sorts of ideas. And we want them to be covered in the pages of our magazine to, you know, get out to people who pick up our magazine and say, oh, hey, somebody's doing this. I never heard of these guys. Oh, cool. Nice figures. Oh, maybe I'll place an order. Yeah. So let since we've talked about the advertising and organizing community, let's let's talk about what type of articles you're putting out there. Um, so when I flip through your magazines, um, some of the categories of articles did remind me of War Games Illustrated. Uh, here's the new products. Here's the hobby. Here's some scenarios. Okay. But the quality of writing, I have to admit, was higher. There's a higher quality of writing, Thank more you. equivalent to WSS. And the change from first issue to second issue, you could tell it's kind of like from the pilot show to the first show of actual regular produced television of where you're getting some of the kinks worked out. So I'm looking forward to like the next eight issues to say, okay, you're going to find your stride here. But how, what, what type of articles are you looking to push out in this magazine? So someone is listening says, should I delve into this? Here's what I would tell them. Our driving goal is to be putting out the best quality possible to, that is of practical use to war gamers, period. That's what we want. Um, you know, the one 
part of the hobby we're staying away from is Games Workshop. And the reason being is, is they're getting a little litigious these days. And, you know, I don't want to put a comma wrong and get sued. It's just that's that's what it is. <laughs> you know, that and they have their own magazine, you know, they do. And that's and that's, you know, not a knock on them. It's they have their own magazine. And my view is, is we're we're trying to be an independent voice in the hobby. I don't you know, I want us to be able to call the shots as we see them or don't see them. And, you know, but I would tell people, if you've got a good sci fi article uh, for sci fi miniature scenario, go ahead and send it to us. You got, you know, a, you know, great how to paint your frost grave figures, send it to us, you know. If you got a game based on, you know, breaching the West Wall in August of 44 and you think, you know, this is awesome, send it to us. In short, if it's practical use to a wargamer, send it to us. Well, so I I will say this. Um, I was flipping through the first one and it's like, okay, this is interesting. I'll read it. And through the second one, I did see the article that was submitted on how to paint modern British uniforms. And there's actually a table in there identifying all the different colors of berets and who they belong to. So, you know what? That is just convenient. That's going to save me. <laughs> That's a lot of Google electrons spared because it's already yeah. written right in there. Yeah. Um, James, James Langham is, he's, he's a good writer. Um, you know, he, he's, he's someone I know from other gaming communities. Uh, and uh, he'll be happy to hear that. I will drop him a line and say, yes, your article was praised in a podcast. You might want to listen. <laughs> well, you know, I, there's a small British company, Antelonica Miniatures, and they're doing a bunch of British Army guys. And it's a Kickstarter, and naturally, it's six months late um, due to shipping issues. But it's like, okay, so I'm going to get these guys. How am I going to paint them? And you Google image, search British uniforms, and there is a whole bunch of multivariate crap all in the same year. And so your article actually went out and said, okay, if you're in this regiment and at this time, and there were supply shortages and we use this tone of orange this year. Okay, great. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if I wanted to rivet count, I could do that. Um, yeah. The, his, his article is basically the, the, the modern British army stuff from Osprey on my shelf condensed down to about five pages. <laughs> you know that, and that I, I saw as a real value because um, I've got Imperial Japanese Army next to me. It'd be really nice if someone just in five pages laid out, okay, these guys in Burma use this green. These guys in the Pacific use this khaki. There, we're done. Instead of buying five different Osprey books at $15 a piece, it's like, sure, I might buy them, but I might not be ready to buy them now. <laughs> right. And I would say if anybody's listening and they know, uh, they've cracked the code on painting Imperial Japanese Army uniforms, uh, go ahead and send us the article, please. <laughs> okay, I'm glad to know it's. I'm glad to know it's just not me because I've yeah. been staring at pictures like. But wait, his pooties are different from his, and where? What kind of khaki color is that? I don't. Do they make a paint that color? <laughs> yeah. And no one's yeah. the same. Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, the ref the lament to the wargamer. What color is this? <laughs> So I did also find you wrote the article on Army Painter 
quick paints, like their answer um, to games workshops, extra thick glazes that they call contrast paint. Um, yeah, it, 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 what it is, is I, it's a technique from 30 years ago. It's called, God, what was it called? Because I, I, I first heard of it through, of all people, Game Designers Workshop. The late Lore, uh, Lauren Wiseman, not Lauren Wiseman, Laura, damn it. Ne- yeah, it was Lauren Wiseman. Lauren Wiseman, um, he sat there and he t- laid out in a couple of books how to paint your figures. Paint them all white you know, do the, do the wash paint system and you'll have pretty good looking figures out of it. Well, that's all the contrast paints are kitties. <laughs> they're, they're washes, they're washes and glazes. And they're great. If you know what, for what they are, the problem is they're not going to solve all your problems painting, especially if you're a more experienced painter Am I a more experienced painter? Well, I'll say I'm a fair to middling painter. Uh, you know, you go look at Piers Brand stuff, for example, and, you know, I sit there and have a certain attack of painting inadequacy and, you know, then I don't paint anything. <laughs> well, you know, you were, you're the first person I think I've seen an article on where uh, methodically going through the new army painter versions, because I think every store that I've been to has a games workshop rack. And they put an army painter rack right next to it. That way someone says, oh, you have paints. Oh, look at the price of these paints. Let me go to the army painter rack. And right. um, I think having an army painter quick shade, there's going to be a lot of people interested in it. It's like, is this a cheaper contrast paint? Because that seems to be a rage amongst newer painters. I mean, look, the way I look at it is, you know, are you willing to pay $7 a bottle or are you willing to pay, you know, I, I don't remember what the army painter price was. I'd have to go look it up. I think it was like, what, three, three and a half, something like that. They haven't hit our store yet. We're waiting for the uh, right. rack to show up. Right. And, you know, they sent me the, the four sample paints I got direct from their factory in Denmark. It was incredible how fast they got over here. I think they must've airmailed the darn things. Um, but the point is, is, you know, I sat there and I worked with them. I mean, I actually put them on miniatures and I said, okay, this holy white is sort of more of a gray, you know, and I, I, I literally primed those figures white just so I could get the full effect. And I didn't use, I don't use any of the, you know, the you know, Citadel miniature special primer. It's like, guys, just prime it white with Krylon. You'll be fine. Trust me, you know, and I sat there and I did this. And I said to myself, this holy white dries is more of a kind of a medium gray to leaning towards white. I, I mean, you saw what I wrote. It's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, some of the paints really great. I love the orc flesh. The orc flesh nailed it. You know, the yellow was really good. I'd use that yellow any day of the week, twice on Sunday. The orange was more of a burnt sienna that you kind of got the crayons as a kid. You're like, is this an orange or is this brown? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the old carpet color from the seventies. Bingo. I, I, it's like, I, I sat there and I read, I, 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 as I was writing the article, I said to myself, well, again, hit or miss. I can't sit there and say they're great, but I can't say they're awful either. And I would, t- and I have to tell my readers, you know, buy them with the understanding like Citadel that you're, gonna may get surprised your first time out how these things work especially do you have to shake them as much 
No, not really. Okay. I mean, then again, I'm the type, I'm very careful about what agitators I put in my uh, paints. I don't use the Army Painter steel balls because those things rust and they screw the paint up. Um, I use the, there's the Dr. Tabletop or Dr. Something like that. It's a, they have little like silicon or plastic balls that you can put in there. They work just as well. Okay. They, they ran a Kickstarter a number of years ago. <laughs> so these are the type of articles that can get out there. So, you know, I've noticed that you're looking for submissions. So at the back of the Always. magazine, you have submissions and you've put out on a call, not just for written articles, but also um, photos. Um, we so, need them. Oh, so how would you explain that to me? Because I think you had a list of, you were looking for 1800s sci-fi. Well, well, sci-fi, we don't for? have a lot of. 19th century, we'd like more because, well, you know, we got some associated with some articles, but, you know, we could only use it so many times before people start. Did I say that in 201? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You, you get what yeah. I mean? So we'd love no more Napoleonic's article uh, photos. We'd love no more Napoleonic's articles, too, to go with it. You know, I mean, so basically we're trying to open our repertoire a bit. We're trying to open our appeal, you know. And Napoleonic's is a period we had one article in the last two issues. Kind of like to fix that, you know. Um, World War II, we get a lot of. Why? Because a lot of people in this country love World War II, you know. There's a reason Studs Terkel wrote that book, The Good War, because we have a different opinion of World War II than a lot of the rest <laughs> of the world. We do. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, we're also trying to cover stuff that nobody's covered. Like, you know, Jim Webster writing the, the feature in our last issue about the 1929 Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. I'd never heard of that yes. before. So you... So the way you do your magazine is you do like a feature lead. So there's like the cover yes. story. And so your first one, you went with uh, Normans in Italy, which yes. when most people are taught in school about Normans, it's William the Conqueror. That was the beginning and the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one really talks about Normans in the Mediterranean. So you led with that. Yeah, and it then, blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and then you led with... Did you know the Soviets invaded Afghanistan 70 years before the last time you thought they did? So is it your plan to lead with these little known? Are you looking for these little known corners? We're looking for these little known corners, but we're not always going to lead with it. I mean, I'll tell you our next issue. We're going to lead with something a little bit more conventional. Uh, Somebody put together a really well done article with graphics and everything for a a piece on dead man's corner in Normandy, you know, which is, you know, American and German paratroopers literally killing each other in the hedgerows. And he's a big chain of command fan. And, you know, we're like, Oh, great. Awesome. This is something we can really, you know, turn into something. I mean, we like to, I like to fat Lardy's rules. I mean, yes, I don't dump on the British all the time. I really don't guys, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, the point is, is, you know, and, and, you know, this is, this getting back to it it's like yeah this is this is the kind of stuff we're looking for it's not just the 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 out of left field stuff we're just looking for really good stuff you know what i'm saying stuff that you know we could go a little more in depth than say war games illustrated and you know miniature war games working strategy soldier does go a little more in depth than either of them and we kind of want to beat them and even them in the going in depth part 
because by the end of the day, my point of view is, hey, look, you know, maybe we're not going to give you as many cool, cool photographs, but we're going to give you enough that you could say, take the magazine, and say, hey, I can run this scenario. Hey, I could paint this figure. Hey, I could do this, you know? Yeah. Now I was thinking, so what's, so for our listeners who might have an idea, and I have to admit, I always have that. What could I write an article about? And what do not a lot of people know about out there? But how, what's the word count you're looking for, for your articles? What's the maximum 3000 words. If you go over, we're probably going to break the article up into two parts. It's just, it's space requirements guys it's like i said we had we have to do it at some point because the last issue was 130 pages as i said (laughs) it was a 10 megabyte download to all the subscribers and purchasers out there i'm sorry if we choked your choked your internet please for the love of god forgive us (laughs) Uh, you know i I just got up early this morning before other people are up to get to the internet well and draw the first electrons off but um, so if I wrote an article, how many pictures are you looking to go with it? So if a person sends you an article and you say, okay, thanks for telling me about your game, but can you take pictures of your collection to back up some of what you wrote? The, the if B-roll. you send us anywhere from three to 10 photos, that's probably enough for what we're doing. I mean, we had a guy who sent us for the Napoleonic article, but he just sent us about 15, 20 photos. Awesome. Great. <laughs> You know, I could use I them all. To, not going to use them all, but we're going to use a lot of them, you know, and, you know, there was one guy who sent us five, three or four photos. That's fine. And if you don't send us any, you know, if it's a more general article, I could pull from what we have of our, you know, stock photo collection, which admittedly isn't as large as we would like it to be, but it's growing. And if you always want to send us stock photos, we'll be happy to pay you for those $5 a photo. Okay. Now, so when people send you photos, are there certain ones you don't want? So you mentioned Games Workshop. So yeah, don't please send yeah. any pictures of Space Marines. Yeah, or... please don't. It's, 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 again, nothing personal. We love you guys, but Games Workshop's on, uh, uh, Games Workshop has let loose the lawyers. So <laughs> no, please no. <laughs> so, so if I took a photo of my collection, I'm, I'm looking off to my left here, and I had some like, I did a photo or a mix of like Curacao and um, some Deus Volt, Western Knights, all mixed together. Do you want me to tell you I got miniatures from these companies so that you can, or are you comfortable with like riding that whirlwind in case, you know? I'm comfortable with riding that whirlwind. Just tell us, you know, make sure we know who you are so we can accredit you for the photo. Okay. In the magazine, that that really we rarely put captions on photos. It drives some readers crazy, but you know it's like guys, if you can't tell a knight from a German World War One stormtrooper, I can't help you. <laughs> you never know. There, you know, if you ask for Napoleonic, there is going to come that day where you put up the third Westphalian Grenadiers, and someone will tell you that's first Westphalian. They had brass buttons, not silver. You know that day will come. <laughs> yes, and the next thing you'll hear is, you know, the, the it, it's me going, <laughs> <laughs> So when people send you um, photos, is there um, a camera requirement? So like... Um, 300 you... DPI or better is what we're looking for. Camera, 
is really immaterial. Just please send us JPEG files. It's okay. really the easiest for our graphics guy to work with. GIFs okay, BMPs okay, but we really prefer JPEG. Okay, great. All right, so I'm looking at our time. We're normally coming off the end here. I wanted to offer you a few chances. Like, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I missed? And I'm going to open the floor to debate here. Um, is there anything else that you want to get that last push in on? Well, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know we talked about some stuff before the show, and now suddenly it's all going. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, you know, I think the main thing is, and this is the thing I want to talk about with all the folks out there who've supported us. First off, thank you. And to the great team I'm surrounded by at Military Miniature from Samantha, who who is, you know, our managing editor. She's, you know, backed us monetarily. She's, you know, let me run with this thing. Thank you. You know, to all the other people on the team, you know, our two editors, you know, um, you know, Mark Laporto and uh, Miriam, uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, thank you to everybody. And it's just, you know, and if you've contributed to us, especially thank you. I mean, as I keep saying, this magazine is what the community makes it into. You know, this doesn't just belong to me. I'm just the editor in chief. I just try to make this thing work. <laughs> um, you, you know, I see this as the place where the community as a whole can get together around the proverbial water cooler. And my only job is to make sure that everybody's ha happy and capstone this sucker with a half decent sounding editorial at the end of the day. And, <laughs> And Lord knows, I think I look at my editorials half the time and I go, oh, my God, what, what was I thinking when I wrote this? But apparently people seem to like them. So I don't know. <laughs> they came together in the end. That's yes. Something like that. Um, sure. But that's my point is that, you know, the community, I think, needs this. We need this. We, you know, it's not just the supply shortages and, you know, the other pressures economically that we're experiencing. It's COVID. It's, you know, people haven't seen each other in years now. You know, there are some war gamers out there who, you know, because of what's happened, they're afraid to leave their houses. I can't say I blame them. You know, it's it's been tough. <laughs> well, I have to be honest, the guy who runs our store, he caught it. And uh, oh, said, wow. how, how are you, how are you doing? How are you recovering? He's like, Oh, things are fine. Um, the smell of grilled meat and fat smells like a rotting corpse to me now. So I can't, Oh no. I was like, you know what, if it came down to like, you know what, you can't eat barbecued pork anymore because you caught it to be, you know what, I'll, I'll hang out in the house a little while longer. <laughs> I don't need to play a game of battle tech that bad. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. And I know, I know. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's like I said, you know, it's, I understand that view. Not everybody is going to want to run out to a con right now. Totally get it. Okay. You know, I've been vaccinated. I got all my shots. I know others have done so. I'm not going to get into that controversy. But, you know, what I'm basically saying is we need a something, some glue to hold us together. It used to be it. Cons are having trouble with that. Cons are, you know, the tendency is down overall, you know, all the other stuff that goes with it, mask mandates, you name it. But the point what I'm trying to say is we need a glue and I'm hoping I can provide some of that glue. 
I'm not arrogant enough to think I'm going to provide it all, but I like to think I would provide some of it. Well, so as you serve as the uh, El Duce for the uh, miniature wargaming world on this side oh, of the Oh, dear Atlantic. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, now, I'm sorry. It, so, now, Generalissimo. Now <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, God. Here it comes. Oh, yeah. I, I get Where? to see it now. I'm going to get greeted by Italian you know, fascist salutes the next con I go to. Hello, <laughs> hello, do champ. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, where do you see the magazine five years from now? Because I'm sure if you've got a professional partner there that you've probably got like the five-year plan. Where we do you have be a five-year five year plan? And I want to say we want to do a whole publishing, a whole service kind of thing for the Wargamer. We're starting a publishing firm. We've got our first book in work. Um, I can't say too much about it uh, because it's early. Um, we have a rule set we're looking at for 2022 as well. We're taking other submissions for manuscripts for 2023. So, you know, if you've got a rule set that's been sitting collecting dust that you've always wanted to publish, send it to us, please. You know, we'll take a look. We'll see if we can make it work. Probably can, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, no promises, but we probably can, um, you know, and, you know, we're looking to be sort of that, you know, full service thing to help war gamers out, be it publishing, be it the magazine, be it you know, other projects that we're taking on that I, I can't talk about yet. Okay. But I could also mention the the convention calendar. That's something we really would love submissions for. If you're a small con that doesn't quite get the press you wish you did, hey, send us your convention details. Send us your website. And this goes for the Canadians in the audience as well. Yeah, hey, I saw Toronto on your list also. Yes, yeah. yes. Canadians, if you're listening, Please send us convention information. When I was on the Canadian Wargamer podcast, it was kind of, I almost want to say shocking how little the Toronto-based gamers knew about anybody else in the country. Whereas I can honestly say, I know a little about what's going on on the West Coast. Not a lot, but a little. I know something of what's going on in the Midwest and I know probably a bit more of what's going on to the South of me, but these guys, I felt for them because, you know, they're like, well, we don't know much about what's going on past Toronto. Well, Westies and Newfies don't talk a lot. So yeah, that's probably true, but you they know, Becker's in the middle of them. So oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you get my point is that, you know, I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to bridge a lot of gaps here, I guess is the best way to describe it. So I, you know, to borrow another movie line, help me help you. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good note to end this on, but uh, Jason, thank you for joining us. Um, thank on the you. Podcast. Thank you for really having me. It. And I, I hope to talk to you again. Once you switch over to the bi-monthly, we might do this again. And see yeah. I would be happy to be on again. Okay. Um, so I'm going to put my subscription in now so I can take advantage of that two free issues there. I, I like that idea, but, uh, thank you for joining us on miniature wargaming labs and we hope to see everyone next time. All right. Thank you very much. You have a, you have a good one, sir. Bye.